Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Well, as the kids are heading out, I'm going to indulge a little bit here and give you some missions announcements here, because this is a huge week we're coming into. We call it Christmas in October. This is the DNA of Church on the Rock. We've been doing this for a long time, and it's just absolutely powerful every year. You wonder, how can it get any better? And it always does. So you should have got one of these on the way in here. This is really important, this packet. It's got the full schedule. So it's going to happen beginning this coming Friday night in Wasilla Campus, where our first service kicks off, where you can buy merchandise, by the way. And uh, the marketplace will be open. There's a map on the back. Marketplace is the booths that are set up on the perimeter of the sanctuary there in Mosilla, in the big room. And you can go and meet every missionary. You can talk to them and, and interact with them. And uh, it's really a great time. Uh, take advantage of that. Of course, uh, Saturday morning, there'll be a seminar that goes from around 10 to 2-ish and a free lunch offered. And you get to hear from all the missionaries, different spotlights. A uh, panel comes up and they do a panel as well, which is really captivating and fun. And uh, so that's a great day provided for you as well, Saturday night service at Wasilla Campus. And then Sunday, all across our campuses, we have lots of missionaries coming. Our children will be ministered to by missionaries. Uh, first service here, you'll have Steve Mayanja from Africa. You'll have uh, Dave Eubank from Free Burma Ranger in the second service. And of course, spotlights in all of our services. So it's just going to be an all-out missional assault on us, which will be great and fun. Um, this packet here, you can read through it. Oh, of course, after Sunday, we have a Sunday night service in Wasilla again at six o'clock. And then, of course, our big banquet that we have here on Monday night, a week from this Monday, will be right here in this room. The tickets, we've sold more tickets now than we ever have at this time. It's probably going to be sold out. So you want to get into that. It's a great meal. Uh, the price for the meal, you'll never get that price, that's for sure. But anyway, the whole night is powerful. So just come and get wrecked. Uh, These conferences usually wreck people who participate in them, and that's always good for us. Um, And so if you read through this, it's got the full schedule. It's got pictures and some information on each missionary that's coming. Uh, There's around 20 or so. And uh, so you can read through there and get familiar with them. So when you meet them in person, you can be prepared to ask questions or bless them in any way the Holy Spirit speaks to you about how you need to bless them. You might just have a strong word of encouragement for them or a big check, I don't know, or a prayer, or something. Who knows? Um, there is a giving card in here. You can begin to look that over. Each missionary, missionary, some of them have projects and different things in here you might want to be aware of, but the, the Holy Spirit can really speak to you as you read through this stuff, and, and you can pray about how you want to support. Uh, we link you up directly with the missionaries in our giving, uh, you can, and that information is in here, so that you can have relationship with them, and get correspondence from them. It's very personal that way, and uh, I just absolutely love it. I love that. I love getting stuff from our missionaries that we support and read about it and stuff, and, and that uh, conversation that we can have throughout the year is really important. So look through all this stuff. It's yours to take home, and if you didn't get one, you can get one at the Welcome Center on the way out. And we always call this Echo Missions Global Conference. What is Echo? Echo Missions. We're always here. What's Echo? What's Echo stand for? You're talking about, hey, 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 hey. Well, that's one aspect, I guess, because we do, 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 do this every year from down through the corridors, right? We just continue, continue, continue. And we'll always, always, always echo this 
But really, ECHO, E stands for enriching lives. Enriching lives of our missionaries who come. By One of the greatest ways we enrich our lives is they have an opportunity to connect with other missionaries while they're here and build relationships, which, man, are they desperate for that. Oh, I tell you, this is the highlight of the year for many of our missionaries. C, challenging, challenging, ECHO, E-C. C is challenging you and I as believers when it comes to missions. And we need to be expanded and challenged every year in every aspect of our life when it comes to our own mission field here and abroad and how we can participate in that. Challenged in our own giving and going and praying and all that stuff. E-C-H-O, ECHO, H, honoring missionaries. And we love to pour into our missionaries during this time, take advantage of this opportunity to, to communicate how valued they are, how loved they are, uh, how encouraged we can get them to be. We want to pour into them. And there's lots of ways we can do that while they're here. Echo, E-C-H-O, opening doors. It's the last one. Opening doors uh, by removing barriers and creating ways for all of us to participate in missions in ways maybe you never even dreamed of or thought of. And uh, barriers are being removed by getting lots of missionaries right here in our own living room, in our own churches, so we can interact and talk with them and, and remove every barrier and have relationship, and it just goes on and on and on. And that just gives you a snapshot of ECHO Global Missions Conference. Very excited about what God's going to do. But today, um, <clears throat> the, the theme of the conference is translucent, and uh, let light shine through, in a sense. And today is the pre-global message, missions conference, and I've titled this message, as a matter of fact, let's put that verse up there so we can let this, this is such a powerful passage we're going to be preaching on today. It's such a powerful passage. But the title of my message is, Calling All Clay Pots. Calling All Clay Pots. Kind of weird, you're like, What? You're going to get this, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Boy, that'll preach all day long. We're going to get into this. This is a powerful passage of a picture of God's life of God and the, tre the power of God and the grace of God being released through every person in this room, through his church today. The strength of God, the ability of God being released and manifest. We need God now more than ever, or should we say we need God as much today as we did yesterday. We all want God in this hour we're in more and more we are surrounded by evidence, obviously, of a strong decay in our culture and society. Increased corruption and pain and despair and growing problems. And sometimes I think we all feel outnumbered and outmanned and inadequate and under-resourced. I wonder how our missionaries often feel when they get up every morning facing a culture that they're not part of their culture, maybe a different language and all the challenges and the problems that they have to deal with and uh, the gaps of communication and uh, the demonic oppression that they face every day in societies that they're in. You know, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You are to stop the rot, the corruption. You are to preserve. You are the light of the world, he says. Don't hide that light. But as this verse says, it's supposed to shine out from us and illuminate those who are caught 
in a shroud of darkness because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the gospel. We are to open their eyes by illuminate and bring clarity to people and help them see through the light that Jesus has put in us, through the glory. Paul describes this divine light shining out of our weakness and our limitations and our humanness, God's power. We often neglect this resurrection deposit power, Holy Spirit that we have in us. We often forget about the capacity that God has put in us. We often underestimate or dispel or think, but uh, maybe that's not really for me. And we underestimate, even neglect. We can't do that anymore because we have something in us that will dispel moral, demonic darkness and decay. It's the glory of God. And this is obviously God's deliberate program that his mighty power will be displayed in jars of clay as we see in this passage, these earthen vessels. And this term isn't very complimentary towards us. An earthen vessel uh, uh, is nothing but a clay pot, yet it's actually a beautiful description of basic humanity when you think about it. Because every one of us in here have been bludgeoned by life. We've all been knocked around and kicked around and run into and damaged in one way or another. We all have cracks and breaks and places in our lives that have been torn down. Nobody in here is perfect. So it's a pretty good description. And a pot or vessel is meant to hold something. It's a container to contain something. It's a description that's so fitting and so basic to our humanity that's not designed to operate on its own. But you and I were created with a God-shaped void to, to hold, to be filled with his presence and his power and God himself. Because without God in our lives, we are completely and utterly incomplete. And you see that all around us as people are grappling, trying to fill their lives with something. They're crying out for something. But only God can fill that void. And Jesus made that happen through the cross. Now we have a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit comes. At the moment you receive him, bam, something is ignited in you. You are birthed into the kingdom. The glory, the resurrection power of God is deposited in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And something begins to burst from your life at that point and bleed through. It's the light. It's the glory of God. That's every one of you have that. If you give Jesus life and a home in your heart. So were these earthen vessels, these clay jars, these pots, could Paul be referencing something? Could he be reflecting back to an Old Testament story of Gideon? You remember Gideon, don't you? He, he was called by God to deliver, deliver Israel from the Midianites, a vast, demonic-inspired, horrific army that was plaguing the land, shredding it and ripping it like locusts, devouring everything in sight and everybody. And God speaks to Midian and says, you will deliver the people, Israel. And Gideon's like this obscure member, one of the, of the most remote, weakest tribes of Israel. And he had a, no reputation. He felt like a nobody himself, inferior to anything and everything. He felt like that clay pot. And yet God says, Gideon, I'm calling you. And so 30,000 32,000 gathered to assist him, this army, and God whittles it down to 300. And then God takes this clay jar of Gideon and says, I want you to get some clay pots 
and put candles in them. And in the dark of the night, they surrounded the Midianite army and they lit the candles. And at the moment of the sound of the trumpet, they broke the jars. The cracks and the gaps began to fall away and the light burst through. And the Midianite army saw themselves awoken in the middle of the night, surrounded, brought into confusion. They began to kill each other. It was a massive victory. What made the difference was that little light in the clay jar that was broken. I think that's what Paul's trying to say. That like Gideon, we feel like we don't have a whole lot to offer. And yet like those broken clay pots where the light burst forth and made all the difference, it's Jesus Christ in you and me that makes all the difference in the world. Christ on display in our lives. That's what people notice. Because it's the only conclusion that people can come up with is there's something that is beyond the ordinary and I'm perplexed. There's something about you that I can't get wrap my head around. It's, I mean, there's a weakness, there's a clay pot, it's cracked, but there's a transcendence of power. Transcendent means beyond the ordinary. The power of God is not ordinary. It's, it's different than anything of the power that we know about. Therefore, it would be wrong to expect us to remain invisible or unnoticed because you have something in you that is beyond the ordinary and this world can't miss it. It's powerful. We need to be reminded of that. And it's released in so many different ways through our lives. Paul goes on to say this, uh, describing the weakness of the pot. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 10, he goes on to say, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in this body the death of Jesus, in this clay jar, the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus, the glory, right? The transcendent glory may be revealed in our body. He says it in a different way. That's the way God expects us to live. The remarkable thing is the place where we struggle, it takes both of those. It takes weakness to have strength. It takes the clay to have the power, the glory of God. You must have both. Now, we want this to come in a different way with our untroubled, calm, peaceful lives, right? We, we want to move through protected from all dangers and difficulties, but the reality is we are bludgeoned by life. We have stuff that happens that's out of our control. And what makes the difference is Jesus in us. No one can say in this room, I'm too ordinary, so average, undistinguished, that I cannot do anything significant. Because in light of this passage, we have this treasure in clay jars that shows this transcendent power that belongs to God and not to us. Nobody can disqualify themselves in this room. Jesus in you makes the difference out of the ordinary. He makes all the difference in the world. God's purpose is to help us make sure that we see that this surpassing power belongs to him and not us. Your ordinariness, if that's how you say it, is not a liability here. It becomes an asset if you really want God to get the glory. No one is too common, weak, shy, inarticulate, disabled to do what God wants them to do with what he put in you. Being ordinary and being weak is not a liability in the kingdom of God. 
No one is excluded or disqualified from the call to be clay pots. I remember when I stepped into ministry, full-time vocational, as a youth pastor. Didn't have a clue, really, what I was getting into. I left the oil industry, and I was going through Bible courses, and I was studying, I was reading, I was gleaning everything I could from people around me and, and people who I looked like they knew what they were doing, and I was doing all, trying to develop necessary skills and talents and everything else and competencies to relate to a teenager. Believe me, that's a challenge. And, you know, it was tough for a while. First couple of years, pretty tough. Uh, it took a few years of a lot of learning and studying and crying out to God, trial and error, and some really humbling circumstances and situations before things begin to get traction and take off. And it's in those seasons where you are forced to face the reality of your weakness and your limitations and your inadequacies. You question God at times. Lord, is this really what you want me to do? God, is this, did I miss something here? God, are you really in this? I wonder how many out you have been through those seasons where you begin to question God. God, did I hear right? Am I really doing the right thing? Maybe you face the reality of your weakness in some other painful experience in your life. Maybe it was through a season of unemployment. Or maybe it was through a season where you got sick or you had an injure, injury, a physical illness, and, and you were limited. And to this day, you're still kind of limited to what you used to be able to do. Or perhaps it shows up in the death of a dream. Maybe it was a personal, professional goal. You worked really hard, but it just didn't happen. I mean, you're at the stage like, man, I just guess I don't have the ability for this or, this, or the resources, and I just, and it didn't happen. Maybe, uh, for some of us, it shows up in our parenting. And I think if there's any area in life that has exposed the truth of my weakness as a dad, it was parenting. It turns out that I couldn't control my girls as much as I thought I could, right? Every parent gets to discover that one. Mark my words. <laughs> you have to face the difficult truth that you can do everything right. You can cross all your T's, dot all your I's, read all the right books, go to all the right seminars and all the workshops and say, I got this. And you'll still find out your children can still make really bad decisions that have really destructive consequences. And there was nothing you could do about it. You tried. Hmm. You feel powerless at times. We all know what happens when the flu season hits. Some of us, man, I'm going to take my vitamins, get my rest, wash my hands, eat spinach, man. I'm going to do all the right things, and we still get it. We're vulnerable. We're weak at times. We have limitations, and we are clay pots. <laughs> well, most of us in this room have come face-to-face -face with the reality of our frailty, limitations, mortality, and our weaknesses, and yes, are clay jars. What we need to understand is my weakness isn't a problem to fix, but actually it is, in fact, a gift to embrace. Let me say it this way. It's not a sign that God has abandoned you, but in fact, it becomes the location where his power will rest. It, it becomes the platform of God's good grace and glory in your life. That's what it is. 
See, we have this treasure, he said, in jars of clay, this all-surpassing power that comes from God. There's a deeper calling that God places on our lives from the lips of Jesus concerning this in Matthew 16. It's a great passage. Jesus said this to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. But good, what good is it if someone were to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And we can slip into that rat race and to gain the world, to have power, significance, and success and on the worldly terms. And end up, you know, we try to save our lives and yet end up losing it in the process. But God offers a true life. And that he has for us. Weakness is actually the only way to a flourishing, fulfilled, abundant, good life that Jesus offers. We see this weakness all the way through the Bible. It should become the lens in which we look at life through. Because you see how God, through his word, acts and engages with people, his people how he calls them through the Bible, and this theme shows up over and over again. And Apostle Paul is penning this passage, and he's one of the hallmark models of this. Because here it is, look, God calls us into our weakness. He calls us into that. God calls us as his clay pots. That's why I said, calling all clay pots out there. God, God is doing that. Now, prior to Paul, Apostle Paul's uh, well, journey with the Jesus, he was the definition of success, professionally and personally. His resume was very impressive. He was from the right tribe of Israel. He was blameless uh, according to God's law. And Paul's own words, he had the best education, the best training you could get from probably the best rabbi and teacher of his day, Gamaliel. And Paul was so well put together and so well positioned for what he was called to do. His resume was amazing. And yet, in the middle of Paul's success story, Jesus interrupts him on the road to Damascus and completely disrupts everything and puts a brand new call on his life. And this is what he said in Acts chapter 9. Matter of fact, after this, you should read some of this. Anyway, Paul said this of the life, Jesus said this of Paul. He said, look, he's a chosen instrument of mine now to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. And then he talks about his commission as an apostle. And Jesus says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Oh, man. Paul's success story, here we are, and, and Jesus says, I'm calling you I'm calling you into suffering. It turns out Jesus wasn't bluffing. Paul reflects on his suffering. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You get a snapshot. This is what Paul said. Five times I received by the hands of Jews 40 lashes, less one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods, once stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, night and day at drift in the sea, frequent journeys in danger of rivers and Robbers and danger of the people and Gentiles and city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, false brethren. Boy, that sounds fun, doesn't it? Then he says, uh, and in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and then hunger and thirst, with, often without food and cold and exposure. So Paul, this is what Paul traded in 
his powerful, successful life you know, of influence and notoriety, notoriety and, and, and respect. This, he turned all that in for a life of hardship, danger, scarcity, and re- rejection. And you might look at that and you think, did something go wrong here? I mean, according to Paul himself, though, nothing went wrong. I mean, he has this laundry list of sufferings and hardships. The experience that he was enduring, actually, as an apostle, is a sign that known something did not go wrong. Actually, something has gone quite right. He, he was faithfully following Jesus, and this becomes a validation, a confirmation that he had taken the charge of one who said, take up your cross, follow me. Take up your cross. The cross represents a lot of suffering. And just follow me. And that's what Paul did. It became a validation of the one who is faithfully following, the one, Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had been highly educated and was quite capable, but he he let all that go to be a clay pot. He, re, he accepted the call to, to lay it down so that the glory of Jesus could, could be on display through his life. He says, I want the glory of Jesus to be on display, not me. Paul articulates it so well in 2 Corinthians where he talks about Jesus' way of the cross and how he kind of wraps his story into that. He says this, For he, this is Jesus, was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. And we, we here who, who are weak, live by the power of God. Paul says, I live by his power. Weak, weak, but strong. And you see it everywhere. Abraham, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave and and go and begin. I'm going to make you a father of nations. And Abraham says, well, where am I going? He says, don't don't ask me that. Just start walking. I'll let you know when I'm ready. But But hey, God, I don't think I'm up for this because I'm too old to have kids and my wife is too old to have kids. I mean, she's really old. And, uh, you know, he puts an emphasis on that. And, uh, and, And God says, hey, 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 hey. Clay pot, I get it. You're my man. Hey, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. I want you to go talk to Pharaoh, set him free from slavery. And Moses is like, Lord, I don't think you got the right guy. I got a speech impediment. I don't talk real good. And by the way, I got a lot of baggage with Egypt. They're not really fond of me right now. I'm not sure I'm up for this political operation. And God says, I know. I like clay pots. You're my man. King David, I'm calling you king because you're going to be my next king. Wait a minute, Lord, I'm a shepherd. I hang out with sheep. And look at my brothers. I'm the least of, I mean, I'm the least kingly among them. And God says, look, I'm in the clay pots. Let's do this. And you see it over and over and over again. Are there any clay pots out there I'm talking to today? Hmm? That's all right. You can claim that one. I think this is confusing for us often because if we're honest, we assume that the opposite is true. The idea that God calls us into our weakness, it feels kind of confusing because we like to operate under the assumption that God works in the exact opposite way. We, you know, we, we kind of import our own vision uh, of this good life, abundant life, flourishing life, the kind that we would imagine into a relationship with God. And life tends to be marked 
uh, by a lot of comfort and control. And we really like the control part. I got this, Lord. I'm, I like this, my safe boundaries here. And I like things that are, you know, that are perfect and everything. And, and I like the, but the good, comfortable, successful life, I think we unconsciously assume that God is kind of on board with that. And he basically is just another resource that kind of comes along to us and, and uh, along all of our other successes. And, and uh, we're kind of like, Lord, I'm heading in this direction. If you want to come and join me and bring all that good stuff you got, we'll get there a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, man. And then, uh, and then when suffering, suffering happens and hardship happens and difficulty happens and persecution comes and we're faced with the reality of our weakness and our limitations, we wonder what went wrong. God, did, did I upset you? Did God abandon me? Did I do something wrong along the way? And the reality is this. God is, is, is good, and God is faithfully completing the work that he has begun in you. That's what he's doing. So did God want Paul to suffer, and does God just want us to suffer? And I'll tell you right now, absolutely not. No. The goal isn't suffering. The goal is truly a flourishing, abundant, good life that Jesus promises us, but it turns out the pathway in life to get there sometimes often is suffering and hard sometimes and difficult, and we make mistakes, and it's not easy. But God calls us into our weakness because God calls us to embrace our weaknesses. And you see that Paul did this. This was his model. This is what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I must boast then I'm going to boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, that, that seems completely counterintuitive because Paul's not boasting in his gifts, talents, abilities, his competencies, his intelligence, and his training, and he had plenty of that. He doesn't bring any of that to the foreground. His resume, no, don't worry about it. He says, I'll boast of my weakness. And he does this at great risk because I tell you what, Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church, and at that point, they were questioning his apostolic authority and his leadership. Uh, they, were, they were not sure that they, this is the kind of guy that they wanted to follow around because, you know, he didn't fit the Corinthian profile of success and power, you know, of a great teacher and one who they can listen to and follow. Uh, Paul's laundry list of weaknesses, we saw that earlier in the church. The Corinthian church is like going, man, who wants to follow a guy around that gets beat up and maligned and trashed everywhere he goes? And we don't want that. We want, a, we want somebody who wins. We want the big guy, the strong guy, the hero. Well, give us that guy. And so Paul's like, what? He says, okay, is that what you want? I'll tell you about my other weaknesses too. See, he didn't have the gravitas and the commanding teaching uh, personality in the big room with people, you know, and that's what they wanted compared to the other teachers that were coming by. They were more impressive. You know, they just were captivating. All the while, Paul's away, these false teachers are coming in, fitting the profile that they liked, their powerful speech and their gravitas. The bottom line is, Paul's about to lose the church to all these false teachers, all because he's too weak for their taste. Paul says, oh, that's, is that what it is? He says, okay, I'll boast all the more about my weaknesses. You want to hear about my weakness? You don't want to hear about it? I'll tell you, let me tell you this story. This is really embarrassing. He just says, this is really, this is really what's important. See, what most, most would have done would marshal their strong defense. I mean, 
We want to get our credibility out there. We want to cover up those weaknesses as much as possible, right? With all of our myriads of gifts and talents and abilities and accomplishments. And here's my resume. I'm going to post it on social media so I can get all kinds of likes and tweets and retweets and get it out there as fast as we can. Paul didn't do any of that. He does the exact opposite. He brings up his less than commanding stage presence and captive teaching style. It's like, hmm. He embraces his weakness. He says, I'll boast all the more in that because God calls us to embrace our weakness. Now, in a culture that boasts in its accomplishments and achievements and personal strengths, this is kind of hard to imagine. Again, it's counterintuitive a notion that what Paul did, why, what in the world is he thinking? See, in our culture, weaknesses isn't something you want to embrace. It's something you know, I guess you're ashamed of and something you kind of want to hide and cover it up. Take a job interview, for instance. You go through the job interview, it's going well, and then they bring up that last awkward, weird question. Hey, great abilities, love your resume. But tell me this, answer this one question for me. What, tell me one weakness, one area of weakness that you have. Of course, we don't want to acknowledge that we have any weaknesses, you know, we're just like squirming going, what? Oh, I know, and then we come up with one. We kind of respond like this. Well, the greatest weakness I would say that I have is I just care too much and I'm going to work too hard. And then we all kind of laugh, ha, 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 you know, and the tension goes out of the room. And, and uh, we don't, the interview is like, well done. <laughs> you just told me you're going to work too hard for me. <laughs> Way to dodge that one, right? Because tell you about my weakness, it's so counterintuitive. Why would I want to do that? Why do we embrace the weakness? Well, it's, is it the goal of the Christian life? Is that just to be weak? <laughs> Believe me, the answer is no. <laughs> I'm not into that myself. But look, this is the bottom line. God calls us to flourish in our weaknesses. That's what he's calling us to do. And you read Paul's letter, uh, 2 Corinthians, again, and you discover that there's one particular weakness in Paul's life that he's been struggling with for a long time. It's called the thorn in the flesh. Mm -hmm. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, go read about it. Paul pleads with Jesus three times to take it away. Jesus, please take this away. I can't do this. It's really hard to live like this. Could you please just take this thorn? And he begged them three times. You know what Jesus said? No. That's tough. And then he goes on to say, Paul, I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. No, I'm not going to take it away, but there's also a profound yes. Yes to something more and yes to something much better. Oh, the worship team come out. You see, God has called Paul into his weakness to embrace his weakness for a reason. Are you ready for this? For the good and ultimate purpose in his life, that Paul would come to know the presence and the power of God. Do you want to know the presence and the power of God in your life? Do you want that to show up again and again? Then embrace my clay. Embrace your clay. And his glory and his power makes me strong. This is what's so exciting about stepping out for Jesus in places of ministry or challenges you've never done before. 
because you need him in those situations. You feel inadequate. And that's in those places where where in the midst of your limitations and you feel inadequate is where his presence and his power you discover in all new, fresh ways. His powerment in your life. I pray that happens this week as you go through this missions conference, that God begins to speak to you and challenge you in the middle of your weakness and doubt and frailty and humanness to do things that you've never done before concerning missions, your own mission field, the mission in the world. And you'll realize there's something God wants to put in me in this moment in time that's going to shine through and I'm going to experience Jesus in a whole new fresh way in his empowerment. Now, <clears throat> it's this response of Jesus, this truth of his, that his grace is sufficient, his power made perfect in weakness, that leads Paul to respond this way. He said, therefore, okay, okay, Lord, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities, on and on and on. For when I am weak, I am strong. Man, that's good stuff. That's just Bible. When I embrace my clay, his glory makes me strong. So what's best for us is not to be rid necessarily of my weakness, frailty, my inability, my humanness, and my limitations, but rather, rather to encounter encounter the power of Christ right smack in the middle of them. Amen? Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.